This podcast is sponsored by the American Society for Information Science and Technology. Since 1937, ACIST has been the Society for Information Professionals, leading the search for new and better theories, techniques, and technologies to improve access to information. By the IA Summit. This year, your peers and industry experts spoke about how topics such as social networking, gaming, patterns, tagging, taxonomies, and a wide range of IA tools and techniques help users experience information. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to provoke thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For more events happening all over the world, be sure and check out events.boxesandarrows.com. What is your site's feel? Is it smooth and consistent, or jagged and unpredictable? Do links always navigate, or do they sometimes pop up overlays, change state, or pull down a menu? Peter Stahl and Josh Damon-Williams show how to evaluate consistency of your site's feel. Using a recent audit of the interaction design of a major website as an example, they discuss how to collect and catalog the variety of interactions users encounter. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers! Well, you folks are in for a real treat, and I'm glad uh, you're all not flying away um, in the mid-afternoon. Um, our talk is going to be about feel and why it matters and what you can do with it, and in some cases, what you can do about it. We'll talk about what an interaction audit is, learn our groundbreaking methodology, and see scintillating feel findings from our study. Uh, you'll understand a bit why you might want to do an interaction audit. Uh, and we also have um, a lot of areas that we think are real fertile ground for further extensions, and maybe some of you are interested in pursuing this. So some quick introductions. My name is Peter Stahl. I'm a uh, lead user experience designer at eBay, um, and I work primarily on design patterns and uh, holistic design. This is my colleague, uh, Josh Damon-Williams from Hot Studio, where he's a senior user experience designer. Um, and uh, he and I were the key collaborators on this, this project. But we were far from the only ones. Uh, there was a large team of people from eBay, from Hot Studio, and also from Persistent Systems, uh, who had people both at the eBay headquarters in San Jose uh, and also um, in India, um, and we were able to get some real fast turnaround on a lot of the data collection through them. It was really marvelous. So the first question, why would one audit interactions? It's not something that you hear people doing every day. Well, let's go back to the whole idea of look and feel. When most people say look and feel, what are they really talking about? To be honest, 99% of the time, they're talking about the look. Hardly anybody talks about the feel. But we are going to focus on the feel. Let's talk about what the feel is, and I want to start with an audience participation exercise. So everybody put down the M&Ms for just a second. And I want you all to say four times fast, silk. Ready? Silk, 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 silk. Now let's spell it four times fast. S-I-L-K, 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 S-I-L-K. Now quick, what does a cow drink? Some of you, <laughs> some of you may have almost said milk. <laughs> and that's fine, that's human nature. That's getting into a groove. That's how we operate. 
It's easy to say silk, silk, milk, just like when you're holding a remote control, you do channel up, channel up, channel up. Or if you're holding a mouse, click a link, click a link, click a link. Imagine, well, here's, here's uh, an ordinary telephone. For those of you who are under 30, I can explain how it works. Um, <laughs> you stick your, <laughs> you uh, stick your finger into one of the holes and you dial around clockwise, then release, and the dial returns to where it normally uh, would be. <laughs> <laughs> so now this telephone, as it turns out, is special. And uh, when you dial a 7 on this phone, it transforms into a jet cockpit. Where do you stick your finger now? It's hard to know. Um, now, I'll admit that this is unlikely to happen in the real world, um, but on a computer, all things are possible. So here I am getting into my groove. Uh, I like to click links, so I'm going to click a link here uh, that says news. Oh, look, lots of links. I can click these, too. Click, 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 click a link. I'm going to click the one that says Bloomberg. Uh-oh. I don't see a lot of links to click. I see some animation in the lower right. I see a uh, headline crawl in the upper part. Uh, this market data menu flopped down without me even clicking on it. I just ran my mouse over it, and like a jack-in-the-box, the thing popped right up. I'm not in my groove anymore. I have to relearn how to operate my computer when I come to this site. This is what we mean when we talk about the feel. It's how you manipulate a website or a user experience. It's how you operate it with your hands. Now, not all sites that have different looks have different feels. Here are some examples of sites that have identical feel but different looks. Uh, the New York Times uh, has a series of links, and you can click on them to reach a section or a story. USA Today, very different look, same feel. Click a link to reach a section or a story. New York Post, still differenter of a look, uh, and links for sections and stories. National Enquirer is still obsessed with Anna Nicole, and I'm sorry about that, but the way their website operates, they have sections and they have stories, and you click on them. So look and feel can actually be independent variables to uh, get technical. Um, on the other hand, there are sites that do have distinct feels to them. Here are some finance sites. The Motley Fool operates very similar to the newspaper sites. It's a series of links to reach articles um, or other content or sections. Yahoo Finance, on the other hand, um, is a bit more complex. They have the um, menus that pop down when you hover on them. You can see it a little bit uh, obscured. The personal finance menu is pulled down. Um, and they also have uh, the advanced preview uh, or suggestions box that comes down from uh, the um, input field here. Uh, so it's not just click a link, click a link, click a link. It's click, type, select, pull down a menu uh, on hover and so forth. Market Watch has all of that, and they also have uh, these marvelous uh, stock ticker symbols. And when you hover over those, a big preview box opens up. So it's even more complex. Um, 
So these three finance sites have different feels to them, uh, and each is groovy in its own way. You get into a groove, you can use that one site. Um, the more complex the controls, of course, the steeper the learning curve, and the more limited your audience might be. It was not always thus. Uh, this is, according to the Internet Archive, uh, Yahoo from 19 and 96. Um, how many of us were using uh, the web back in 1996? Wow, lots and lots. That's great. So back then, uh, interface designers were limited to the set of controls that were provided by the browser. You see an image map at the top, uh, some form controls, and a bunch of hyperlinks. Um, it was great. It was simple. It was consistent. It was predictable. And you never had to ask yourself this question because the answer was obvious. You should use the entire set and the whole web operated the same way. Here's Yahoo today. Of course, it's a lot more complex. It's got tabs, it's got hover controls, it's got Ajax, it's got things that move when you drag them, uh, and so on and so on and so on. Um, it's great. But it makes this question a lot more complicated. These days, we actually have to think about the feel of the user interface. Why do we have to? Well, feel affects all of these things that are probably important to your business. They affect the learning curve, obviously. They affect the mental bandwidth needed to operate the UI. If at every juncture, the user has to pause and try to identify uh, a component and figure out what it means or what it does, that's going to subtract that amount of bandwidth from what you really want them to concentrate on, which is your site's content or whatever services you provide. Errors can creep in when people misinterpret visual cues, which are used inconsistently. Or if you've got a great groovy feel, um, it will uh, lead to a lot more user success. The personality is affected by the feel. The degree to which you can help fulfill the brand promise is affected by it. And of course, uh, if you do it right, you'll get a lot more adoption. If you have nasty surprises, you may end up with people abandoning your user experience. So now we've established that the feel is important. So the question for us as designers and information architects and all of the other great specialties that are here in the room um, is how do you evaluate it? And once you've evaluated it, how do you make that actionable? How do you convey the feel of your site to the rest of your team? This is an evaluation of the look of the eBay site as it was uh, in late 2006. Um, and on the right is a proposed solution. Um, and I've been asked to uh, warn anyone who um, is subject to uh, sensitivity to um, quick flashes uh, that they might want to avert their eyes. Uh, this is deliberately shrunken and deliberately sped up so that you can see the overall gross effect of uh, the user interface as it existed back then. And the first thing to point out is in the upper left, the logo jumps around and resizes. Uh, but the things that you see, the things that really jump out at you in that first two-tenths of a second, which I think is the speed of this, um, are all of the elements that are about eBay itself. The section headers and 
uh, the functional areas. Um, it's really hard to tell exactly what's for sale here. Now that kind of thing can happen because of the best of intentions. Um, but when designers have tight deadlines or when they're trying to institute a new system um, and it doesn't get spread through the entire site, um, or for a plethora of other reasons, um, a site can really turn into a little bit of a the mishmash that we see there. On the right is the uh, proposal for fixing that, and it's the exact same pages, the exact same content as what you saw on the left, but you can see here, it's much calmer, and it's much easier to see where you are. The other thing is particularly important for eBay, the images that really jump out at you are the images that come from our users. This is items for sale uh, and merchandising. Um, and that's really what the site's about. So this, it turns out, was a tremendously effective way of demonstrating the feel of the website. I'm sorry, not the feel, the look uh, of the website. Um, this was a really compelling artifact and it uh, resonated not just with the design community, but also with engineers and with executives and with product managers and marketing. Um, and it really galvanized the company. Um, and what you see on the right uh, has almost all been implemented because this gave it such a huge push. How do we apply that to feel? How do we... Uh, how do we show the rest of the company what we all in this room just experienced, uh, that feel is important and that we, we ought to do the same thing for how the site operates? That's the challenge that Josh and I faced last summer, and Josh is now going to tell you how we attacked it. How's that? Okay. Everybody take a deep breath. If you're on the edge of your seat, go ahead and scoot back a little bit. We're going to, we're about to get into, uh, it's going to be high adrenaline from here on out. So I want you to have some M&Ms and get ready. Okay. Cause I'm going to talk about what we did, um, in the actual audit. Uh, so to start with, we, we broke the project out into four phases. Um, we started with the strategy phase where we defined what it was we were actually going to do and tried to uh, determine what our end state would be. And then we moved on to our data collection. And from there, we mulled over our data. And, and then uh, finally, we moved into a recommendation phase where we uh, hope to justify our paychecks. Um, so first, this strategy phase. Um, eBay is not an ivory tower institution. eBay is a business. And so uh, any, anything that we actually did, delivered, uh, the output from our project would have to be something concrete that the uh, UE team at eBay would be able to, to use uh, to design consistent uh, feel in their user experience. Um, we also wanted our deliverable to be something in spirit, something similar to the movie that Peter just showed, um, something that would quickly convey the, the size of the problem that we were talking about, the, the heft of it, um, something that would be compelling, but it, we didn't want to go into a rat hole of detail. We just wanted to give the overview. Um, so we wanted something that was going to be compelling. We wanted a compelling artifact. And we tried to imagine what that might look like. 
So without knowing what the research and uh, analysis would reveal, um, we weren't exactly sure what it would be, but we thought perhaps it could look like this. Why not? Um, so we started planning our, uh, our audit activities, um, the data collection phase. We, we knew that eBay users were already experiencing discontinuity of feel when they would start off at one part of the site and then move through other areas. And so what we wanted to do is collect data around those sorts of common flows. Um, concentrating on flows instead of just the, the uh, individual sections or discrete pages was going to get us a lot closer to what users were realistically uh, experiencing. So given the size of eBay, eBay is massive, we knew that our audit was going to have to be representative and not exhaustive if we wanted to finish in this decade, uh, and we did very much. So we decided we would evaluate this flow as it represented the bulk of the traffic on the site. Um, and one wonderful resource that we had uh, was this site diagram. And, and within it, there's also, and it's hard to see, uh, metrics, data around what, uh, you know, how much traffic there is per page. And you're only seeing part of it here, and it's shrunk down really small. And in reality, in life size, this, this site diagram spans 17 feet. So next, we threaded uh, some of those high traffic pages together by inventing uh, what we felt were plausible, uh, plausible tasks that users would actually want to accomplish and that would take us through the various sections of the site. Uh, for example, a new user uh, might come to eBay and look for an item that she's, she's interested in. Um, so she'd shop, she'd find it in a result page, go look at it on a detail page, and then bid on it. Uh, but before she can actually bid, she has to first register, and so she does that too. Um, and this is Obviously, this is a really plausible flow, and uh, it takes the user through five very different areas of the site. So it allowed us to look at home page, search results, uh, the item page, um, the, uh, item the item detail page, uh, member registration, and also the bidding process. Um, another example would be when a returning uh, registered eBay user goes to their My eBay section, and, uh, and that's where their personal data is kept, and they can bookmark items that they're considering bidding on. So they, they find an item, maybe like this one, that, uh, that they've been watching. And they decide they really want to get this item, so they bid on it. But somebody else wants it more, and they, they bid it at a higher price, so they're outbid. Uh, but this user really wants it, so they increase their bid, and they end up becoming the, uh, the winning bid. And one more example. Uh, this is a, a flow for a registered user who wants to uh, sell something for the first time. And so what they do is they start on the selling page, and they go through a process of listing an item. Maybe it's this one, when I get back. Uh, they, they go through the process of listing an item. That could be up to 17 steps. And, uh, and then they'll also have to create a special seller's account, which must be verified on PayPal, and so on. So we felt these types of flows were going to be uh, the ones that would produce the most uh, interesting and, uh, and realistic discontinuities of feel. Um, so then we created our audit checklist, and otherwise known as the spreadsheet. This is, uh, this is where we uh, took the invented flows, and then we also categorized them based on kind of a sense of, of what sorts of activities the users were trying to accomplish. So there were activities around buying, activities around selling, managing personal data, interacting with the eBay community, and so on. Um, and we slotted the flows into the spreadsheet with the tasks laid out on the left and across the top were pages that we'd already identified as being important ones that we wanted to make sure the audit hit. And, uh, and then wherever there's an intersection between a task and a page, we called out what step in that, that task sequence uh, that page was showing up. 
So now that we uh, now that we had the flows that we wanted audit, we were ready to start collecting our data. Uh, we used FileMaker Pro as our database. Um, it turned out to be relatively cheap. Um, it's easy to use. It produces really pretty reports, and it's also uh, compatible with Mac and PC. Um, with it, we catalog things like uh, UI elements on the page, their behaviors. Um, we cataloged uh, instructions that were being presented to the user and, uh, and also icons. We also captured important graphical uh, data. So for example, in, on the left part of the screen, there's a thumbnail of the page uh, in this particular task. And on the right is the interaction that we're reviewing. Um, and then if you look back at the thumbnail, there's a little red area inset on it. And that's uh, where the area on the page where that interaction uh, displays. So uh, here's a list of some of the other data that we collected. Um, it turned out uh, that we, we collected more data than we actually needed, and that was, that was pretty much intentional. We didn't know what would turn out to be the most useful, so we wanted to have more at the end rather than less. We didn't want to go back. So the column on the left was the data that we ended up using a lot of. The column on the right would be perhaps more, uh, we didn't end up using it, but it would be probably valuable for doing a deeper study of the feel or perhaps doing an icon cleanup or working on a style guide. Um, it just didn't end up in our report. So then we moved to analysis. And we started mulling over the data. Um, we wanted to see the flows. We felt it was really important to see them side by side. Um, and so we had to figure out a good mechanism for doing this. Um, it turns out butcher paper is really cheap. I, I had no idea anyway. It was like $15 for a roll that's uh, like 36 inches tall by 100 feet. So, so we bought some rolls of butcher paper and printed out our uh, FileMaker records, and then we'd tape up entire flows onto sections of butcher paper. Um, and then we'd roll them up and put them in a shopping bag, which we were able to carry around with us from meeting to meeting. And, uh, and we began to refer to these things as our scrolls, right? So we had our scrolls that we would walk around to conference rooms, and, and then we'd take one of the scrolls and we'd lay it out on the table, and it was, and we'd, it's somewhat hermetic, we'd, lean over it, and we'd think, collaboratively think. Anyway, this made us, uh, this enabled us to, uh, uh, we were able to make comparisons uh, that I think would have been much more difficult if we'd tried to sit over one person's monitor and click one through one record at a time. Um, I had a whole previous career in the mid-90s working in animation production. And for me, this is really similar to, uh, to the storyboarding process used in animation. Um, where you, you, know, you can have a single frame and it'll look great, but if you don't see it adjacent to the other frames in the sequence, you're really not going to get much meaning. Like You really need to see these things side by side, and this is what made it work for us. Also, this is actually uh, stitched together. I think this is probably uh, one long scroll, and this is early on in our work with it. Towards the end, you'd see post-its all over these things, and the post-its would have our notes like, oh, you know, this page has this, but this one doesn't, and, and so on. So these, these things really became like, you know, the, the representation of our thinking. So uh, we started thinking around uh, ways that we could, we could express what we were seeing, the metrics that we were going to use to express feel. Um, one idea, for example, is that we were, you know, we thought, well, you can measure the page dimensions. You can figure out how big the page is and then count the number of interactive elements on the page. And then with that, you could calculate the overall density of interaction elements on a page. Um, and there were other uh, 
other objective and subjective metrics that we talked about. We, we had long conversations about this, and Peter's going to go into more detail about some of those metrics later. But the point is uh, that we, you know, we would take some of our data and we'd feed it into something that would be our compelling artifact. And so one option that we imagined was that we could use, these are radial graphs, and on each, uh, each axis we'd position a different one of our field metrics. And, uh, and then by lining them up for each page, we'd begin to see deformations in the shape and understand you know, if a flow was, being, was smooth or if there, were, there was a lot of uh, discontinuity in it. Now, this, isn't, this is illustrative. This isn't real data. But you can see that we'd be able to you know, track that, say, the metric occurring at 12 o'clock uh, at the top there. That's pretty consistent through all these pages, which is not the same for the one at 9 o'clock. So then the one at 9 o'clock is fairly consistent to start out with, and then it drops suddenly. Um, this isn't necessarily going to be actionable unto itself, but seeing this data might help a designer you know, take another look at uh, one of their flows and see if there's some, something they might want to adjust. Another option that we considered was uh, framing our findings as a sort of comic book. Um, so here we'd be plotting out an imagined emotional state, uh, sorry, emotional reaction by the user to the, uh, to the interactions that they're being presented as they're trying to complete their task. Um, and again, this isn't real data. So at this point, um, at this point we, had a, we felt like we had a good grasp on what it was we were trying to achieve and, uh, and, and a sense of where things were going. And we thought it was important to schedule a check-in with our primary audience, which was the user experience team at eBay. So we did that. We scheduled a meeting, and we showed them our work thus far. And, uh, and we outlined our plan uh, involving representing the flows and, sh and showing our objective and subjective metrics. And, uh, and it turned out to be a really good thing we did, because the input from the team was that some of our findings were definitely going to be actionable. Um, other, other aspects of our findings were going to require further development. So that allowed us to turn our, uh, our efforts towards presenting objective data, uh, data that was going to be better suited to, to lead to an improvement of the, of the feel on the site. So we moved into our working on our recommendations. This is, the, uh, this is from my notebook. This is, uh, this is the, note I, the diagram I drew when we figured out what the final format for this compelling artifact was going to be. Um, we decided that we would collect our, our findings in a document. Uh, we, we ended up just deciding to make a book. So the structure was going to be pretty straightforward. Um, we decided uh, that we would list, ca uh, list discontinuities of field that we found. Um, there were three categories of them, uh, which we called affordances, tasks, and data objects. And I'll get into those in a moment. But the report would start by showing a few prime examples of, uh, of, of each uh, discontinuities in each of these categories. Uh, and that would help us define the problem space um, from there, we could layer in additional data if there was any. And then finally, we'd extend some sort of broad recommendations based on our findings as, uh, that might point to solutions or ways to begin to tackle some of the problems. So the first category uh, is affordances. And for us, that meant um, specifically visual cues uh, that there's some interaction being offered. And so an affordance inconsistency is when we use the same cue to offer multiple interactions. So, ah, great. So, uh, prime example, actually a great example on eBay, 
was the hyperlink. Hyperlinks can be used to load new pages. Uh, sometimes clicking a hyperlink will get you an immediate inline response. Um, hyperlinks open modal dialog boxes. And they can expand collapse inline page content. Keeps going. You can jump elsewhere on a page. Within the current page, you can open a brand new browser. Uh, some links will close layers. Some links will also uh, open, open framed help content within your current browser. And actually, this is just uh, half of what we inventoried. There, there were 16 different behaviors and all for, for links on eBay. Um, we also found a number of uh, inconsistencies with tab affordances on eBay, including uh, folding content uh, being used to filter and also offering exclu exclusive choices within forms. And I use that as an example in a little bit too. Um, but let's talk about tasks. So tasks are uh, a path to accomplishing an immediate goal. And an inconsistency of tasks is when there are multiple paths presented to accomplishing the same goal. So if a user on eBay is, say, looking at uh, results, they've searched for an item and they're looking at results, um, they are presented with a number of ways of filtering those results. Uh, one thing they can use is a form. So this is a form that appears on a result page. But there's also <coughs> excuse me, tabs uh, that they can use to filter what they're looking at. They can also click links to narrow down their results. And then finally, if they want to reset their list of results, there's a link toggle. And then there's actually more. There were 10 different interactions supporting data filtering that we found. Um, also, uh, another task inconsistency is uh, the enabling or disabling of sections of a form, um, which can be achieved by clicking on a checkbox, clicking on tabs, clicking uh, using a drop-down menu, or using radio buttons. So a, a user who's trying to figure out how to quickly submit forms on eBay is going, to, uh, is going to have a tough time figuring out how to move through these. And some of these are offered within the same page. And then finally, uh, our last catalog, uh, cataloged area of inconsistencies was around uh, data objects. So, and by data objects, we mean a representation of data, a commonly occurring piece of data on the site. Uh, and then by inconsistency, we mean that it has multiple, multiple ways of being displayed. So these are just some of the ways that members can be represented uh, within, the, uh, within eBay's site. Sometimes there'll be just a name. Sometimes there's a name plus a status score. There could be a name, status score, and then a qualifying badge, which is something like ID verified or power seller. Um, and then the, uh, the various elements in different instances are clickable or not. Um, and then this is a chart quantifying uh, what we just saw on the previous slide. Um, with uh, member representations, uh, attributes of member representations across the top, and then pages where they appear uh, down the side. And ideally, there'd be uh, less, uh, less scattering of these uh, red dots. There'd be more uniformity. So we presented our findings uh, in, a, in a document, this, this, this bound document. Thank you. And uh, it, this turned out to be the Exact, uh, this turned out to be the compelling artifact we needed. Um, it, uh, it, was, it, it was snapped up immediately, uh, and, and we ended up having to print more to meet the demand. 
within eBay. Um, more than 100, I think, ended up going out, and, and we were pleasantly surprised by the fact that uh, it wasn't just the, the design team that was interested in the output uh, from our audit. The product team was interested, engineers were interested, and, uh, and so were international teams. With that, I'm going to hand it back over to Peter to talk about what next. All right, actions and future directions. So we were very pleased that the document was popular, but the document was hardly an end in itself. Um, it would really only be useful if it helped the site become easier and more rewarding to use. What steps would lead there? Well, let's remember what the real goals of our interaction design were. We wanted it to have a low learning curve because we're trying to serve the general public and that's specific to the uh, eBay site. That's not necessarily true for every user experience. But we wanted ours to have a low learning curve due to consistent cues, predictable behavior, instant recognition of interface elements. And all of this would allow the eBay member content to shine through. And that's so critical to the success of our site. So the first thing to do really is to clean up all of the uh, most egregious, obvious problems. Uh, we decided not to use perchloroethylene, uh, even though Patty recommended it. Um, instead, we uh, embarked on a cleanup of the lowest of the low-hanging fruit. Uh, so we created teams of interaction designers to attack these. Uh, we had a team called the clickers that would go after links and buttons and find any outliers. Uh, we had the swappers who went after tag tabs and toggles, submitters, of course, for forms. Uh, the shufflers for moving data around, sorting and filtering, and the disclosers. Um, and uh, these were all also invited to a local doo-wop festival, but uh, they decided not to <laughs> participate. Um, the ultimate goal of the uh, analysis that these teams did uh, were design patterns. And this is a, a sample design pattern that we're using internally at eBay. Um, the idea would be that these teams would come up with recommendations uh, based on best practices from the industry uh, and in some cases just plain old common sense. Uh, the work that they did resulted in a number of patterns but more importantly a number of anti-patterns. What they really wanted to do was stop outlying behavior and bring people at least within a sphere of reasonable, um, a reasonable set of interactions for each of, of their five areas. Um, the idea here is these interaction um, design patterns are backed by um, code components that are being generated by a, a special central uh, development team so that as parts of the site are revised and upgraded uh, or new parts of the site are introduced, they will use the patterns as the, lowest, uh, the path of least resistance. The engineers also will recommend use of the patterns so that they don't have to recode behaviors. So in short, the cleanup process was first find a problem area in the audit report, recommend a simpler set of interactions, document those as design patterns, have your friends in engineering implement those as code components, and magically the site will gradually uh, adhere to uh, the simpler set. But you know what? 
that really only got us so far. What about interaction inconsistencies that don't have obvious solutions? I'm going to give you one more inconsistency display, uh, like what uh, Josh was showing earlier. Um, here we've got the task of customizing the layout of a page. Here's one way of doing it, it's a form. Uh, the form happens to have one field, uh, it's a checkbox and then an apply button, but it's on a separate page from the page that's being customized. Here's one that appears on a drop-down menu. Here's one that uh, is a schematic and you click the little orange buttons to move the, uh, the, set, the modules around. Uh, this one here is a form like uh, the first one. This one's in a floating dialog. Uh, here we've got a set of hyperlinks and here we've got paired ordered lists. This is uh, familiar to anyone who used the web, say, eight years ago. Um, these are all perfectly legitimate ways of customizing a page. There's no best practice that would um, recommend against any one of these. However, it's clearly a problem to have all six of them on the same site. How do you choose which ones to kick off the site? Well, let me use a restaurant metaphor. Um, every restaurant has basic requirements. It's gotta be clean, courteous staff, they have to add up your check properly, uh, no cockroaches. Um, but each type of restaurant has different values. The French restaurant uh, values uh, the marrying of wine and food. The Chinese restaurant uh, values being able to fulfill any customer request. Uh, the burger stand values quick throughput. So each one is going to have different behaviors. Uh, the French restaurant has a wine list. The other two don't care about that. Chinese restaurant has a long, long menu. The other two don't care about that. And In-N-Out Burger, of course, uh, will get you in and out quickly, and the other two really don't care about that. Same goes for websites. They've all got basic requirements. They've all got to have navigable interfaces, orientation cues, consistent basic interactions, uh, no bugs. But each website has different values that are specific to that site. Netflix, for instance, uh, wants to have convenient editing of your list, so it supports direct manipulation, drag and drop. Amazon, uh, on the other hand, wants to offer a plethora of tools to help its buyers, so it has simpler tools, but many more of them, and their pages tend to be a lot denser. That would probably be a bad thing on Netflix. Facebook wants to uh, promote a ton of fun add-in applications, so they have a special application framework that allows these things to be dropped in there. Not so important for the other two sites. So the idea is to create a set of site-specific values that you can use to guide you in eliminating behaviors that uh, don't fit in uh, with what your site is trying to accomplish. Now you do need to bear in mind uh, that the values can vary. Uh, if you are trying to inspire users, you want to introduce surprises sometimes and delight them. Uh, if you're in the checkout phase that will follow, you don't want to have any surprises. So you'll probably end up with a core set of values that apply universally, and then uh, some values that will be specific to certain conversations that you'll have with your users. Finally, I want to talk about the field metrics that Josh referred to earlier. Um, this is uh, a brainstorming session we had on them. We think this area holds a lot of promise. Uh, 
And I'm just going to show you a few of the metrics that we've proposed for uh, measuring the interaction, the feel of the site. Um, there are objective metrics, uh, page dimensions, you can measure those easily. Number of interactive entities. Uh, if you divide one by the other, you get interactive density. Uh, and there is something that we like to call jack-in-the-boxiness. That's how much things jump up at you as you hover over them or, or scroll your mouse across them. There are semi-objective metrics, uh, the number of syntactic actions in a task, um, the reloadiness, how, how often does the page reload, um, the frequency of tool changes, do you have to move your hand from the keyboard to the mouse to the keyboard to the mouse, um, the amount of dynamic behavior, we call this uh, sponginess, uh, layout changes that are triggered by a mouse over. Um, and then there are completely subjective metrics, uh, the number of different paradigms in use, uh, the complexity of the page, uh, the flatness or bumpiness, that's how many uh, unique interactions you use, uh, and the cognitive load, how much do you make your users think. And uh, we think these hold a lot of promise, as I said, um, we really weren't able to get into them a great deal, um, but we hope to in the future, and maybe some of you, uh, can investigate these and come up with your own. So to conclude, what we have learned uh, through our interaction audit is first of all, nowadays it is important to check the feel. The world is just a lot more complicated than it was, especially on the web. An interaction audit can be compelling, it can be actionable, and it can spark real improvements in your site very quickly. The audits themselves should focus on flows instead of individual pages or areas, and they should be representative of real experience so that you can experience what your users are going through. Simple tools work, uh, and storyboards are key so that you can really analyze flows. The uh, inconsistencies that we focused on we think are fairly universal, affordances, tasks, and data objects. You should clean up obvious problems first. That's really going to give people um, a good idea of uh, the potential. The harder problems will require site-specific values, and we believe that the field metrics hold a great deal of promise, and uh, we're hoping that maybe next year at the IA Summit, one of you can come back uh, and tell us what you've done with field metrics. And that's the end of our talk. We'll be happy to take questions. Thanks a lot. Yes. So, uh, thank you. First of all, I think this is a remarkably mature thought uh, process. I have one question. You talked about kind of all the differing uh, models for customizing the page, the fact that one would have to win out. You talked a little bit about uh, values. Good question. Um, for those of you who didn't hear, uh, Bryce wanted to know um, which of the customization instances won out and which ones got kicked out. Um, we are still in the process of defining the values for the site, so we haven't kicked any of them out yet. Um, what we are likely to do is come up not with just one, but with two or three that can be applied in different use cases and different parts of the conversation. Um, I'm I have, I have a pretty good guess 
for what's going away, but um, I don't think, I think it would be premature for me to, to say what that is. So. <laughs> Good, anybody else? Yes. Yeah, well that of course is a big problem on a site with hundreds of millions of users like eBay. Um, anytime you um, move somebody's controls around, I'm trying not to say move somebody's cheese because I think that's a, um, but um, anytime, anytime we um, make changes to high traffic pages, um, there's an enormous amount of, of uh, blowback uh, from the community, and sometimes we decide to withstand it, and sometimes we say, you know, this is just too much. Um, the great thing about eBay is that our community is extremely vocal, and we provide them with lots of forums to tell us what they think. Uh, plus, the site is, is heavily instrumented, so um, you're, you're absolutely right. When we do start simplifying the interactions, it will mean changing some pages. And there will always be some special cases where we have to leave things the way they were just because our user base is so habituated to it. Well, it's just working. I'm going to grab this. So, but that, that also points to one other thing that we noticed with, when doing that. One of the limitations is that we're, we're really just looking at, at this uh, as two interaction designers and we're not bringing the user into the, uh, into the, the whole puzzle. And so one of our recommendations coming out of it was that you could do user research to, uh, to start getting a sense of which of these models is actually working. So there's, there's room for bringing that into it as well. Um, so that was uh, hopefully something that would follow along with this. Yeah. Okay. We got time for one more? Sure. Um, from my experience, um, the, the patterns are the best way we have with a, with a, a large and distributed design community to um, communicate the eBay way of doing things. Um, if we had a, a smaller and, and much more cohesive group of people, it might just be sitting around a table and saying, these are our values, this is how they're going to be expressed with the interactions. Uh, so it really, I think, is, is has to be tailored to, to the group that you're in. I think also getting uh, establishing the visions is going to be a really critical part for eBay because once once people can can be part of that process and, and weigh in on that, they'll be able to uh, to champion it and socialize it. And that that was also a big you know part of the the check in that we had with the uh, eBay UE team was that they you know they wanted a voice in this process and so just handing over had, I think design patterns would have wouldn't have been as effective as starting a conversation. Um, do we have time for any more questions? What? We're done? All right. If anyone has any more questions, Peter and I are here for a little bit longer. Yeah, so we'll, otherwise, we'll, thank you very yeah, much. We'll, we'll be in the discussion room. Sure. Thank you.